excited to be here this morning talking about Jesus and all the good things that he's going to do. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 11, um, I'm not going to say Jesus like that the whole morning. Um, John chapter 11, and um, we'll get started here in a minute. One of the things um, that wasn't weird, but just fun yesterday, my uh, wife and I took the kids out a little errands, and I'm not like an errand guy. I don't like running errands. I typically end up sitting in the car, and kids are screaming, and Carrie's shopping or whatever, and it's not my thing. So, um, but I realized yesterday when we were out for a couple hours doing these things that each, we have four kids, and each one of our four kids tries to get our attention in a different way. Our oldest daughter, Olivia, um, you're just hanging out, life's going on, and all of a sudden you're like, why am I so annoyed? And then you like stop, and you're like, what is going on around me? And then you realize it's because Olivia is trying to get your attention, but she's just like, dad, 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 dad. She doesn't change. She doesn't say, hey, dad, or, you know, Brandon, or she just, dad, dad. And you just, what is going on? Like, oh, yes, what do you, what do you want? Um, Mia, our, our middle daughter, um, she just comes, tries to get your attention. She just jumps right into conversation. You could be doing whatever you want, talking to somebody else. She just comes in and says, so dad, here's what I was thinking. If we could, and you can't like not engage the, engage the conversation. She just starts going for the conversation. And she's like, well, you're interrupting, but you're halfway through your sentence, so sorry. And so she, she's pretty good. Raina, our youngest daughter, she's, she's just the sweetheart. And so she's just like, hey, dad. And you're, yes, what, what do you want? That was so sweet and pleasant. And there's butterflies around your head. And yes, let's, <laughs> what do you need? And then our, our, our son, Silas, he's about 15 months old. And he's just like, ah, ah. And with three older sisters, all he has to do is throw up an ah. And like, the kids are, what? What does he need? And it's not a good habit. But, um, but our kids have found ways, good or bad, to try to get our attention, to try to get us to stop what they're doing and look at us. Um, and this morning, I want to talk about how God is trying to get your attention. God is trying to get my attention. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for a day like this. Lord, the uniqueness of today what you're doing in our lives, what you want to do through our lives. Lord, it's unique. Lord, this is a moment. This is a day. Lord, I pray that we would, I guess, be poised, be ready to hear what you would have for us as we just carve out these next couple of minutes to dive into the scriptures. Lord, that we would learn how you're trying to get a hold of our attention, so that we'd be responsive to that. God, that we would be challenged by who you are. Not who we think you are, not who we want you to be, but who you are. The truth of you. Lord, in the exciting things that we'll see here this morning, the exciting things that scream out to us, Lord, you are so desperately desiring us and our attention. Lord, would we give you that today? Would we give you that today? In Jesus' name, amen. Quick question before we uh, 
jump into John 11. This morning, would you say you came to church or would you say you are the church? Did you just show up and you're just, you're here? You're, you're just, you're at church? Or did you show up this morning thinking you're part of the church? This is who you are. This is what you do. It's um, another weird thing. We had some, some Mormons knock on our door. Um, and Olivia, our oldest, answers it. And I'm sitting in the living room and Carrie's in the kitchen. And as she answers the door, she just kind of does like, she turns around and she runs to Carrie and she says, Mom, there's some guys out here and they're all dressed up for the ball. And Carrie's like, what? So we, uh, I, uh, so Carrie goes to the door and I hear the conversation start. So I, I, I show up and um, they're like, we're not trying to push our religion on you. Um, but do you know Jesus? And I don't, I don't know if it was rude or not, but I just said, yeah, we're all stocked up on Jesus here, thanks. Like, we, like they, I felt like they were trying to push Jesus, like, hey, can you put Jesus next to the Kellogg's in your pantry? Um, here he is. That, that, that bothered me, that they're just trying to push this Jesus, push this, this thought, this concept. Just, you know, put it next to your Kellogg's and, and uh, you'll be fine. And that, that's not it. That's not what it's about. And we're going to see that here this morning. And so are we just here at church? Is this just something we do? Or are we part of church? And not necessarily part of Antioch, and I'm plugged into a group, and, but that's great, but are you part of the kingdom? Are you involved with what God's doing? Are you involved with what God's doing, or, or are you not? Or are you just doing your own thing? And every once in a while, you'll pull Jesus down, have a little bowl of Jesus, and, and go about your day. Are you part of the church, or are you just coming to church? <clears throat> it's a perspective question. And it's, it's exciting to be a part of what Jesus is doing. It's exhausting but it's exciting to be a part of what Jesus is doing. And so I hope this morning that by the time we're done here, you'll be encouraged, you'll be excited to be a part of what Jesus is doing and what he's calling you to do. Because it's unique, it's different, but it's amazing. So this morning we're looking at John chapter 11. Um, if you've glanced at it before, it's, it's entitled, Jesus Raises Lazarus from the Dead. Um, so I'm going to start off by talking a little bit, like, what does that mean? Well, well, Lazarus is dead. I'll just tell you that right now. Um, it's just there. We'll get to it. But Lazarus is dead. So in the culture in those days, what that meant was as soon as the guy or the gal would die, they would begin immediately to wash, to wrap, to anoint with oils and spices, the body. And it was in that culture, they had about 24 hours to get the body out of the city walls. And typically there would be a processional of people mourning, family, friends, somebody leading the way, giving the eulogy, talking about this person's life. They'd be singing these somber songs. It was a bad deal. It was a bad deal. It's interesting, as I was re researching this week, you, you see that for three days, there would be very heavy days of mourning. Then there would be followed by another three days of just mourning, 
or heavy mourning, not very mourning, heavy mourning, sorry. There should be three very heavy days of mourning, three days of mourning, followed by a 30 days of mourning where there'd be dust and ashes on their head. They'd be fasting. They'd be in a, in a sad state. Death. The scene here is is grim. I don't know if you've ever lost a loved one. It's it's tough. It's difficult. It's hard. And so we see here this morning, starting off, that that's the scene. So then Jesus shows up. John chapter 11, we're starting at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So there's the scene, sorrow, mourning, lamenting, pain, agony, a family member, a friend has died. In the midst of their mourning, Jesus rolls into town. And he says, take away the stone. I want to do something. I'm up to something here. Take away the stone. And, and then we see the sister Martha say, uh, it's, it's a little, little rank in there. It's, it's not a good scene behind that side of the tomb death. It's bad. It's painful. Please, Jesus, let's, let's just leave it how it is. Let's just leave it alone. The reality of the situation is scary. But I've noticed oftentimes God challenges our reality to deepen our faith. Have you ever been there? Never had your reality? What was real? What was your life challenged by God? In Mary and Martha and those that are experiencing this sorrow, their reality is their brother, their friend is dead. They've mourned, they're mourning, they've buried him. He's dead. Their reality is death. But we're going to see here this morning how exciting it is to follow Jesus. How amazing it is to walk alongside of Jesus and watch him do things he and only he can do. To watch Jesus change lives, transform lives. The excitingness of following Christ. The excitingness. Let's finish up the story here and make some applications. <clears throat> 41. So they took away this stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Now we see here in Scripture, it's, it's not too often we see Jesus praying in public. He kind of, that was more his quiet time with God, his, his, his alone time with God. But we see here he's going to pray publicly, and, and there's a good reason for that. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always have uh, 
you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Check this out, 44. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What? What? In the midst of this tragedy, this mourning, this loss, we see Jesus show up and totally change the scene, totally change the story. Lazarus, dead, mourning, sorrow. Jesus shows up, totally transforms everybody's reality of the situation. Now, they had every right to be upset, to mourn, to be sad. Their brother, their friend was dead. But yet Jesus comes in and he's got a plan. He's got a point. He's strategic about what he's doing. And he brings life where there was death. Like, can we just stop and ponder this moment? I mean, think if like Lazarus was your friend. Think if you were in the midst of this story. How amazing would that be? Death, now life. That's God. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God many of us serve. In my Bible, I, I wrote on the side, pretty small, so it says, Do I serve God with the concept of this story? Do I pray to a God with this concept? With God, you can raise people from the dead. And we see Lazarus, this is the third person Jesus has raised from the dead. He's not kind of like a one-trick pony, like, oh, I guess I got it right that time. Like, he's done this before. Jesus has raised a guy from the dead. Like, that's pretty big. Like, I've done some cool things in my life, but this is definitely not one of them. Like, this is the God of the Bible. This is the God that's trying to get your attention. This is the God that's madly in love with you. A God who shows up on the scene where there's sorrow and he brings in new life. New life. <laughs> so why though, right? I mean the question, why? Why did Jesus do this? Were you just like bored? Like, oh, what do you guys want to do today? I don't know, Jesus, you got any tricks? Yeah, let's go raise a, somebody from the dead. That, that sounds cool. I don't think it was that. But just for a second, put yourself in Lazarus' position here. Like, can you imagine like being Lazarus and you're like, you've, de you've died and faith in God, so you're up at a better place and sitting around, I don't know, talking to Jonah or Moses or something, all of a sudden you get like a tap on your shoulder from Michael the archangel. This isn't scriptural, I'm just saying what if. Um, and all of a sudden Michael the archangel is like, um, yeah, Jesus is calling you? Um, I guess we're going to need you back back down on earth? I'm not like, really? I mean, I already kind of died. I'm not over that scene. I'm, this is better. Like, I really, I really got to go back? Yeah, Jesus, he's calling me. He's kind of a big deal. Should probably listen. <clears throat> Just for a second, chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. This is where all this is happening. Where Lazarus was 
whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Check this out, verse 2, chapter 12. So they gave a dinner for him. Like, that's probably a good idea. Like, yeah, you raised our brother. Like, yeah, we'll throw you a party. Yeah, come on over. You've earned it, you know, pinata. We'll have some fun. Martha served in Lazarus. Check this out. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. So it's not like Lazarus just, you know, raised from the dead and then like, oh, I'll see you later. He's like, I'm just going to go wander the desert because I don't really know what's going on. No, we see like the next chapter, Jesus and Lazarus, they're at dinner. They're having a meal. They're, they're hanging back, playing Pictionary or something. I don't know, but it's amazing. Are you guys grasping this story? Lazarus was dead. Jesus brought him back and he's, he's life again. He's living. They're, they're hanging out. So if Jesus wasn't bored and and he didn't just do this to be cool or to, to have fun or to mess with Lazarus. I don't think Jesus was like, oh, I really miss Lazarus. Let's bring him back. Life's boring without him. Why? Why would Jesus do this? What's the point? John eleven forty five. John eleven forty five. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he, Jesus, did. And they believed in him. These Jews, who are a part of this community, probably not followers, probably not believers of Jesus. Interesting side note, the Jewish culture, many people thought that you know, when you died, your, your soul would linger for about three days. And then, then you head on out, hopes that something happens, I don't know. But we see Jesus showing up on the fourth day, right? So to these Jews, if their mindset was, well, the... Lazarus' soul's lingering around. We'll, we'll wait. Um, day four, hopelessness, right? He's, ah, the soul's gone. But Jesus shows up. And he brings Lazarus back from the dead. Why? Well, one of the reasons is that these Jews would believe in him. Let's go up to verse 42, continuing to answer the question, why would Jesus do this? 42, Jesus is is praying. Remember his prayer. He says, I knew that you always answer me, but I say this on account of the people standing around, that they may, there's the word again, believe that you sent me. So Jesus in his prayer is, is asking God to do this. So the people, just the people in the community would see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, if we pause for a moment, maybe that's where you're at in relationship to God. Maybe you're just kind of around churchy people. Or you're kind of just around Antioch things. And you've seen God do some pretty cool things to other people, but yet you haven't jumped all the way in. You're not there. You're just kind of, you're one of these people that, that we see Jesus performing this miracle for. I want those six people over there to just see God move. I want them to believe. I want to get their attention. And I'm going to do it by doing a miracle over here that these people will see, they'll hear their experience. Just as, I guess a second side note, what God is doing here at Antioch is unheard of. Most churches in America are in decline. It's just the culture we live in today. God is moving mightily here. It's so cool to be a part of. Continue on. Why is Jesus doing this? 
verse 40, Jesus said to her, being Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He's referring over to verse 40, or 25 and 26, same chapter, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. It's a pretty bold statement. Good thing he's able to back it up. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he says to Martha, do you believe this? So Jesus is doing this for the crowds, the Jews that aren't believing in him at this time. And specifically, we see Martha. Jump up to verse 12. We'll see another reason Jesus is doing this. For his disciples, his crew, his posse, verse 12. The disciples said to him, Lord, he has fallen asleep being Lazarus. He's, he's sleeping. Oh, he's taking a nap. Well, if you're sick, you take a nap, you're going to get better, right? Technology, uh, medicine in those days. Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Jesus is also doing this so his disciples will believe in him. Jesus brought back Lazarus from the dead. So those people and us would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That He and He alone is able, fully capable to do all of the things He said He was going to do and is doing today. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead so people would believe in Him. So people like you and I would say, Jesus has given me new life. Jesus has totally changed my life. Jesus is my Savior. I can believe that. I can hold true to that. Now, Jesus did a lot more than just raise Lazarus from the dead, right? You read the New Testament, he walked on water, fed thousands of people. Um, we mentioned earlier, raised other people from the dead, healed all sorts of types of diseases. Also, people would believe so people would say, you thousands of people can't do that, but here's this one guy, Jesus, and he can. He can do these things. I want to believe. Going back to the early part of the message, God wants our attention. He wants us to look upon him. He wants us to spend time with him. He wants us to have a meaningful relationship with him. He wants our attention. And if you're like me, it's hard sometimes to give God the attention that he deserves. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, it's difficult day in and day out to give God our attention. And I'm sure, you know, the miracles that Jesus is doing in the New Testament, even people probably witnessed this. The people that witnessed this miracle probably still two months, three months afterwards, maybe had forgotten it, had lost sight of it. 
I mean, can you imagine being there in that day? Oh, Lazarus died. Oh, it's a bummer. He was, he was a cool dude. Yeah, I liked him. A couple months later, Lazarus, I buying squash. What are you in line to buy squash for? But you died. Yeah, I did. Jesus raised me from the dead. It's a pretty cool thing. I'm, I'm back, you know? They still needed those reminders of who God is, and God is worthy of our attention. Are we giving Him that? Are we committed to that? Are we just part of? Are we just coming to church? Or are we part of church? Are we part of what God is doing? Are we allowing Him to touch our lives, transform our lives, and then use our lives? Or are we just saying, ah, yeah, he's cool. I like God a little bit. Are we all in? Are we all in? God got people's attention in the Old Testament in some crazy wild ways. If you haven't read the New Test- the Old Testament, pick it up this week, read it. It's pretty quick. Um, and watch how many bizarre, wild ways God got people's attention. But the New Testament, the New Covenant, it's pretty simple. New Testament, God's like, there's Jesus, he's my son. If you want to know me, God, go through Jesus. That's how I'm going to get your attention. It's through Jesus. Do we grasp that? Do we get that? Do our lives reflect that? This word belief, believe, Looking it up, and it's the, in the original text, it's pretty much exactly what you thought it would be. You know, Jesus did this so the Jews would believe, so that the crowd would believe, so that Martha would believe, so that the disciples would believe. Believe, what does believe mean? It simply means this. Think to be true. To be persuaded of, to credit, to place confidence in. If Jesus raised my brother from the dead, I would be all in. I'd put confidence in Jesus. I'd be pretty much persuaded that Jesus is God. I would believe that. I would hold true to that. That would change and transform my life forever. I would believe that. So the question is, why is Jesus so interested in us believing? Why does God want my attention? Why does he want me to believe in Jesus? I think the simple answer is because God loves you. Because God loves me. He wants to draw us to him. Because he's a loving God. I always try to get my kids' attention. Because I want to teach them. I want to help them. I want to provide for them. It really frustrates me as a dad when they won't give me their attention. Especially when they're about ready to run out into traffic or something. I don't know what I'm doing, Dad. Don't worry about it. Go stop. No, I got it. Don't worry about it. God desperately wants our attention. Because once he gets our attention, he gets our heart. And that is an amazing place to be. When God's got our heart, when God's got our life, some of you in this room know what that's like. You know what that feels like. You know the adventure, the joy that comes with that giving God all of our attention, all of our heart, all of our lives, saying, I'm all in, God. I'm committed to you. I believe you. You've proven yourself to me, God. 
Another thing here in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Heard about him? I think we've covered this already, but just to cover our bases. The village of Mary and Martha, the sister. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. He's going to die here. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It does, but I guess if Jesus is around, it doesn't. So it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through him. Why did Jesus do this? So that the people around him would believe? but also so Jesus would get the glory of God. Bringing somebody back who has been dead for four days, it's an act of God. It, it really is. An act of God. It's exactly who was there, acting out in this scene. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. So you and I would believe Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If we confess, if we believe in our hearts, we can be saved. That's a loving God. That's a God who is striving to get our attention, who wants to capture us. He wants us to believe in him and not have to jump through a bunch of hoops. Not has to go and push religion on people, to climb the ladder. It's a God who just wants to be with us. It's a God who wants us to love him and have a relationship with him. So my last question this morning is, so how do we respond to this? Because this is big. I mean, this is like Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. If you haven't got the point, like that's what we're talking about this morning. This is big. How do we respond to this Jesus who walks the planet, does, he, does amazing things and says he's the son of God, dies on a cross and say, hey, if you believe in that, you can have a relationship with God. I got heaven. I got the spirit. I've got joy. Follow me. How do we respond to that? That's big. That's a lot. How do we respond to Jesus, saying, believe in me and you can know God and you can have intimate relationship with God and I will change you. What's our response? It's baptism. Good thing we have a baptism service this afternoon. I'm, I'm half serious on this point and about this half is who I'm serious about. I'm just joking. But think about this. If you are serious about God, because you realize God's serious about you, then shouldn't we seriously follow him? Shouldn't we seriously respond to what he's calling us to? And so what's God calling us to? I believe, but what's he calling me to? I think he's calling us to a couple things. The first, I think he's calling us to repent of our sins. Now, if you've been baptized already, 
this is still something that we're, we're talking about is repenting of our sins. God is constantly calling us to check the way in which we live and to repent of the things that are not what God would have us do. I think so often God wants to talk to us more, but we don't give him the full authority in our lives. He's just something we kind of hang up in our shelf. And so we can't fully engage and challenge and change our lives because we haven't granted him that. And so he loves us, so he's not going to force himself on us. He's not going to turn us into a robot and make us do what we don't want to do. He's waiting for us to lay it all down and fully follow and surrender surrender to him. And so sin is one of those things that holds us back. Sin is one of those barriers that keeps us from God. And so if there's sin in your life today, pray through that. Talk to somebody about that. Get that fixed. Do away with that. Purge that sin from your life so you can receive all and hear all and be a part of all that God has for you. So what else is God calling us to do? One is to to recognize and repent of sin. And the second thing we see clearly in scriptures is to get baptized. So Acts chapter 2, if you haven't read Acts chapter 2 in a while, you need to. There's some amazing stuff going on in Acts chapter 2. Basically, Jesus has died, he rose, he ascended into heaven. The crew, his followers are there going, what next? The Spirit of God shows up and God continues to attract people. God continues to get the attention of everybody. He continues to knock on hearts and knock on souls. And so Peter stands up in the midst of Acts chapter 2 and just basically preaches the gospel. Basically just says, here's what Jesus was about. Here's what he did. Here's why he did it. And here's what we need to do about it. And so once they hear Peter's message, they say, let all of the house of Israel therefore, Acts chapter 2 verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him Jesus, both Lord and Christ, that this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 38, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. So Peter's saying, hey, you've believed. You've put your faith, you've believed, whether it's a miracle or a message or a prompting of the God, whatever it is, you now are in a position where you believe in Jesus. You believe in God. So what do we do? We're here. It's like, great. Let's get baptized. Let's go get baptized. What does that mean, baptism? Why should people get baptized? A couple of reasons if you're taking notes or you're just curious about it. Baptism is for people who want to follow the example of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus got baptized. We want to follow Jesus. We should be baptized. 
He set the example we should follow in that. Also, baptism is following what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said, go and get baptized. So there's the commandment. Okay, this is something I, I should do. This isn't something that, well, I, I guess I'll do it just because just I was told to. But no, I, I, I want to do this. I have a desire to do this. Baptism is something that we should do because it shows that we are a believer, Acts chapter 18. It shows that we are aligning ourselves with what Jesus did. We are saying, I'm in that. I'm about that. I want my life to reflect that I am following Jesus. I believe in Jesus, and so now I want to do the things that Jesus would have me do. If you would have a Bible, go to Romans chapter 6. We'll read briefly what baptism means, what it symbolizes. Romans 6, 4. The symbolism of baptism, the meaning, the heart, the purpose of it, says we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. And so baptism isn't one of those things where like, hey, I'm following Jesus, great, we're going to bury you in the earth, hope you make it for three days, we'll expect you just to come out on your own, that's what Jesus did, that's what we're going to, no. That just would be weird. And so we see Jesus setting the example and having his apostles and those that would follow him to say, hey, go find some water. Go all the way in as if you're dead and then come up as if you are new. The old is going to die and now Lazarus style, you're coming back. And it's new and it's fresh. And it's what you are claiming. It's what you are proclaiming. It's what you want to go and live out. Say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do the things that he has for me to do because I'm excited about God. I'm excited to be in this relationship with God and have him do and the things that he can only do in my life and change me and lead me into this amazing new life. A couple more thoughts on baptism just so we all are on the same page. Baptism does not make you a believer. It shows, it demonstrates that you already are one. So for me, I, I asked Jesus into my heart at seven. I think I pretty much grasped it at that age. I don't know. I, I remember saying that prayer on my bunk bed with my mom. She wasn't on the bunk bed. She was, anyways. I remember asking Jesus into my heart, asking God to forgive me of my sins. And when I was 12, our church had a baptism service in somebody's pool. Sat down with my dad. We talked it out. I said, I, I want to do that. That's for me. I'm ready. So it doesn't mean I was saved at 12. It doesn't mean that baptism saved me. Baptism is a lot like a wedding ring. It's a, it's a symbol of a commitment you've made. I'm not a jewelry guy. I, if it wasn't tradition to wear a wedding ring, I probably wouldn't just because I'm not a jewelry guy. But I choose to wear the ring because it symbolizes a vow, a commitment I made to my wife. So when I see the ring, it reminds me of that. Baptism is much like that. 
It's this symbolic death to self and being raised and, and going out and living with and through Christ. I asked a couple of our interns to jot down some notes on what baptism means, and one of the interns wrote this. It is a proclamation of your faith. It is stating that from this moment on, my life is God's, not my own. It's a symbol of dying to myself and claiming life in God. And I really love this last point that, that she made. It's an opportunity to let others witness in hope of accountability as a community. As Matt said earlier, baptism... It's a celebration that the whole church should be a part of. I remember when I got baptized, there was a crowd there, and a couple people wrote me cards for getting baptized. And I was like, wow, that's pretty sweet. As a 12-year-old, I was moved. It takes, it takes a lot to move a 12-year-old. But I was moved that people would show up, and they would clap, and they'd give me hugs. I'd get wet, and they'd get wet if they hugged me. But they would show up, and they, it was a community, and they were excited for this, for me and the decision I was making. I hope that you guys and gals, even if you're not getting baptized, you come out today. That you're a part of what these people are doing. That you cheer with them. We have a, a community event. And that you don't just, ah, man, those people are they're getting extra spiritual. I don't know. No, we, we come and we surround these people. And we're excited about what God's doing in their life. And we want to witness it. Because they're entering into the community. They're entering into this family and they're saying, hey, I am stepping out symbolically sharing where I'm at in my relationship with God. Now we could see that and witness that. So I hope, I hope, I hope that we have a turnout tonight of the community, of the church, of people saying, I just don't want to be coming to church. I want to be the church. So baptism is this amazing symbol this amazing event in our lives. It's one of those milestone moments. And it's not really cool. It's, it's, it's not like, um, you know, I'm going to go dunk you in water and you, ah, there's people around. I don't know. It's kind of awkward. I, it's not meant to be like the coolest thing in the world from the outward perspective. There might be people like kayaking out. What are they going to think? I'm not weird. What if I see them at Strictly Organic the next day? Are they going to remember it's me? doesn't matter. That shouldn't matter. I'm pretty sure they'll float by going, wow, that's a scene. Those people are committed to something. I want to find out. I want to see why they're so happy. <clears throat> if you're new with us at Antioch, we encourage you to come out, check it out, get to know us. We want to hang out with you at the baptism. We have a handful of about 13 people. I guess that'd be like two handfuls of about 13 people that are scheduled to come get baptized. It's not too late. If you want to get baptized today, we are, would wholeheartedly encourage you to do that. A lot of churches, there's programs, and there's like an eight-week course, and that's not how we see God moving in the Scriptures. As we said there in Acts chapter 2, is, hi, I believe in Jesus. That's, I, I'm in. I believe that. Great. Let's go get baptized. That could happen today. Maybe you came in, I don't know about Jesus, and now you're like, yeah, he raised the man from the dead. I, I'm down with that. That's cool. 
I like God. That sounds good. I want them to learn more. Hang out after the service. We'll answer your questions. Dunk you this afternoon. It'll be great. Big day. Get a lot done. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God that desires our attention. You are a God that's intentional about drawing us to you. And so, Lord, what do we do when you have our attention? What should our response be when, when you've grabbed our lives and you're ringing truth within us? What do we do? How do we respond to that, God? Or I think it's simple. We, we allow you to be you and totally, maybe even wreck our reality. So Lord, this morning as we wrap up with a couple songs, Lord, I'm excited that there's people going to be getting baptized. People are going to be proclaiming this. People want to follow you in this. Lord, maybe there's five or six people here this morning that want to get baptized now because of this last 40 minutes or so. Lord, that's great. We thank you for that. Lord, you desire our hearts. You desire us to give you the credit, to give you our life back. What an amazing, exciting journey that is. Lord, we just want to worship you now. We want to just get excited about who you are and the things you have done and are doing. Lord, you're so good. You're so great. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for that.